This is a Thinkers 50 podcast, brought to you in partnership with the Brightline Initiative, bridging the gap between strategy design and delivery. Hello, I'm Stuart Craner. This is a Thinkers 50 podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Dan Thomas. Dan first came to our attention with the book, The Corporate Startup, for which he's one of the co-authors. Corporate Startup came out in 2017. The book really caught our attention and is getting increasing amount of attention around the world. Um, foreign language editions are appearing by the day, it seems. Dan, welcome. And tell, tell, tell me about the, the Corporate Startup. How, what was the genesis of that book? Thank you very much for, for having me on the podcast. Uh, yeah, the journey of the corporate startup started in 2013 or late 2013 or 2014. I can't actually remember when I met, uh, when I met my, my, my brilliant co-author, Tendai, and uh, we were both speaking at the conference on the topic of corporate innovation. I was working with a large telco in, uh, in Germany at that time, and uh, I was really frustrated by the way this company was doing corporate innovation. And, and then I realized that, you know, talking with other people in other uh, companies, in other countries, I realized this is a worldwide problem of how innovation is done in large organizations. Coming from a startup background, I was, I was puzzled by that. Like we already have the tools in the startups. Why don't corporations just apply those tools? Obviously it's not just one-on-one copy paste. It doesn't work like that. So I meant then I, I, we discussed about the topic and then we, we decided to write the thing together. And uh, three, four years later, the book, uh, the book came out. And uh, it's, uh, it's quite successful. And I think it's successful because it, it offers a holistic view of the problem of corporate innovation, not, not just how do you do a lab or how do you do a brainstorming session, but more how do you integrate all these elements into an, an innovation ecosystem? How do you play with startups? How do you collaborate with, with universities. So a lot of the things that large organizations are doing when they're talking about innovation. Do you think large organizations are beginning to understand innovation? Oh, 100%. I think, I think they are probably the biggest beneficiaries of the entire innovation slash startup movement because they have the resources to, uh, to be able to tackle big problems like for example you know climate change well startups can play a role in climate change but it's going to be a company like for example Daimler saying we're going to move away from from uh, you know combust combustion cars to electric that is going to have an impact you can do something with the startup but it's just it's just a drop in the ocean but yeah I mean historically um, large companies have been very good at exploitation and scaling and, exactly. and, and small companies have been good at innovation. Uh, I mean, it's a big leap, really, for large organizations to embrace the startup thinking and, and the tools used by startups. Totally. I, I was just being, I'm just being skeptical. Um, I, and and it's, uh, it's, it's well-founded, your, your, your skepticism. But I have personally seen a lot of, uh, a lot of examples, especially for, for corporations in super developed countries like Scandinavia. I think in, in that part of the world, uh, people are past the point of understanding why they need innovation and how they're looking more into how do they actually do it and how they get better. So they're past understanding the importance of digital and, and whatnot. Um, and again, of course, it's a question of how do we define innovations? Because if we define innovation as disruptive or, or breakthrough, yeah, my judges are still out whether or not a Hilton could have invested into an Airbnb back in the day. I don't know yet. 
but uh, probably they've learned something in the past six, seven years, and hopefully they won't make the same mistake again in the future. But I don't know. Judges are still out. Yeah. Well, well perhaps they've learned they need to sell all their hotels. The, yeah. um, so, so from the corporate startup, where has where your work moved since then? Um, obviously, I've, I've been trying to apply the, the principles behind a corporate startup with, uh, with, uh, with clients that, that I have. But now I'm very interested in how do we measure innovation? Because most of the companies that are past the point of, oh, we just have a lab or we just need this one uh, design sprint workshop or, or whatnot. Now they're asking themselves, how do we measure innovation? And not just that, but I've seen that probably the, the thing that stifles innovation the most is how do we measure it? Because if we don't have a good way to measure innovation, then people will be afraid of investing. And even if they pass their, their, their initial fear of investing in innovation, then they will like to measure it. And once they measure it with the wrong KPIs, they will get very disappointed and they will stop investing. So it's kind of like a vicious cycle if you want to some extent. So we're, we're moving towards an innovation accounting system. I think that we need to have an innovation accounting system complementing the existing fi financial uh, accounting system. So this is basically my, my, next, uh, my next big thing I'm trying to solve, innovation accounting. It's not replacing financial accounting. We still need that for reporting, for stakeholders, for, I mean, it's a very good, it's a very good system. It's been working for years, but we just need something now to complement it. For example, how do we measure culture? How do we measure um, intangible assets? Because at the moment, they're just, they're just basically thrown in some parts of the financial accounting reports that nobody can actually read or they're not in any way actionable. So having a, a system that runs parallel to the financial accounting system is going to be vital for the, company, for, for the companies that want to grow for innovation. And this will be on the principle that what, what gets measured gets done or gets invested in exactly exactly and we've always been very good as a society to to do that to 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 to, to rally behind the numbers and rally behind a cause supported by numbers so if we start if we start measuring what we value then we're going to invest in those things and and what stage are, are companies when you when you talk about these ideas how do, how do companies respond are they comfortable with the concept or are they desperate uh, for the concept it really depends when, where they are on their innovation maturity journey, if you want. So if, it if it's a company that just started thinking about innovation, they probably won't get much of the concept or the need for the concept. If it's, if it's a company that's been doing innovation for five, seven, 10 years in a lab, and now they're trying to expand the practice through other parts of the organization, then they will definitely understand it. And from my experience, what I realized is that the entry point is a product team level. Because uh, they, they want to understand how do you measure that one product team and how do you compare that product team with all the other ones that you have in your portfolio. And then from there, I come in and explain where well, there's other layers to your innovation accounting system, like, for example, a portfolio layer or a corporate layer, because all of these things are, are interconnected. The number of experiments, for example, a team is doing, right, the number of learnings that they're generating per unit of time is definitely connected to the time to market of that idea and the risk behind that idea. So they're all interconnected. And then you can, you can create a portfolio view and then you're going to say, okay, my, this is my portfolio. This is how it looks like. And this is the, this is the aggregated risk I have behind my portfolio. 
And which companies do you think are beginning to understand this and doing doing this well or put, putting these ideas to work? I think it's I think it's very difficult to basically say industry X or industry Y. I believe that uh, the companies that started the earliest on their innovation journey are the ones that are putting this uh, best at work. Obviously, working with working in software is going to be a big advantage. But now every company is working in software. I be it a bank or a logistics company. I, I believe that banks, in my opinion, have uh, have a competitive advantage if you want because. They they are they they are supposed to be more data driven than most of the other organizations. Numbers is what what they're good at. But again, this is just my personal opinion. <laughs> yeah, the uh, you talk about the free conundrums of financial accounting. Yeah, which yeah. is interesting. Uh, and then the first one of these, the, the most valuable assets of a company are not accounting. Uh, they're not recognized by accounting as assets. Yeah, yeah. And the second one is that accounting-based financial reports show only the final outcome of asset deployment, revenue and earnings. And the third one is that the, exactly. account, the accounting system can't measure that something hasn't happened. Yeah, those, those are the things that I've researched and I've, I've been uh, puzzled by these things when, when I came upon them and I came upon them in, in various circumstances working with various clients, for example, in... Uh, companies that do a lot of lean manufacturing or companies that do a lot of, uh, of lean startup in their, in their product development, they suffer from the last one. They can't measure something that hasn't happened because lean manufacturing and, and lean startup are cost avoidance methodologies. You're doing a lot of small iterations to prevent a big mistake happening in the future. So how do you account for the fact that you save the company X amount of money for not doing something? Right. And this is uh, this is a big problem that financial accounting has. And this is why we need to have an innovation accounting system to deal with that. Same goes for for the final outcome. Right. We just measure revenue. Well, revenue is a result of a lot of other things happening behind it. Financial accounting doesn't capture any of that. Yeah. Yeah. And and you talk about how how. Uh... Companies claim that people are their greatest assets, but from an accounting perspective, people are, are simply liabilities. Yeah, exactly, because their, their salaries are, are listed under cost, and cost equals liability. But then again, they have this, these huge mottos and these quotes on their, on their corporate walls. Yeah, people are our greatest assets, but uh, they don't live by that. Because if you would live by that, it means that you have to invest in those assets like you normally do in in any asset, but whenever, whenever there is a, a financial downturn, the first thing that gets slashed is, uh, is the workforce and the money invested in the workforce, training and, and all the other stuff that goes into developing that human resource asset. But it's, it's funny because there are companies out there which, uh, which actually have people as listed their assets. And uh, my, my research led me to this, to this actually funny conclusion that uh, sport, sports clubs, sports franchises actually list people as their assets. So if you were to research Manchester United, I'm not a Manchester United fan, <laughs> uh, but if you, if you research Manchester United and, and you see what they submitted to the New York Stock Exchange, you're gonna see the players are listed there as assets. 
But I, I am a Manchester United fan, and perhaps we can discuss the assets of Manchester United at, at a different time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and they appear to be depreciating, as far as I can see. The, um, uh, I, I see the results. The, fi the final output of uh, of the assets deployment I've seen it this year. Yeah, it's not. It was not that good. <laughs> yeah. So the, there was a fashion for. There was lots of talk of intellectual capital, like 15 years ago, Tom Stewart did a book on mm -hmm. intellectual cap capital and Leif Edvinson in, in Scandinavia was doing a lot of work with uh, uh, Scandia about um, intellectual capital. And, and basically that was arguing that uh, intellectual capital needed to be part of uh, financial accounting. But I'm not sure financial accounting, though it was fashionable at the time, but it didn't really settle as uh, it wasn't accepted in, in the longest term, was it? Um, I, I think so. I, I think so. It was not accepted because there was no place to fit it. Plus, the, the financial records are basically legal documents and they are regulated by, by a country or by a government or by, by a, 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 per, a, a minister in a, in, a, in, a, in a government. And it's very difficult for a company to change those financial, financial documents and what goes in that. Right? It needs a countrywide revolution if you want, if, uh, if you need to add something or subtract something from that, uh, from that document. And this is why I'm saying that an innovation accounting system, which is not necessarily going to be regulated by the government, can help um, investors take better investment decisions. We should invest in company A and company B, but it's going to help managers within those companies take better decisions and, and actually manage by numbers, not just by gut feel. So in, in 10 years' time, wh what would you like to see the state of innovation accounting? I would like to see it as, uh, as a practice, as a well-established practice in, in, uh, in companies that are serious about growing through, through innovation. So I'm, I'm hoping to see uh, innovation being ran by a CFO as well as a chief innovation officer. So not the, CF, not, not the case that we're seeing now in, in a lot of organizations where the CFO is a detractor, if you want, for, for innovation. Oh, this is going to cost a lot. I'm not going to invest in it. But more like I want to invest because now I have a, 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 a numerical system, an accounting system that's going to help me understand how much does innovation cost, how much does it bring, and what should I do in terms of, uh, in terms of furthering the, the development of certain products. So the key is converting CFOs to disciples. So they should be disciples for innovation. Um, in my opinion, yeah, and probably the most, the most interesting clients I worked with were the ones in, in, in which the CFO was the biggest supporter for innovation. I worked with a large Norwegian bank recently, and the CFO, she was the most vocal about the need for innovation in the company, and she was the biggest supporter for that, and everybody rallied behind her. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's interesting. The CF, CFO is innovator. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, Dan Thomas, uh, co-author of the, the Corporate Startup, and in your new book on uh, innovation accounting, when, when will yeah. that be seeing the light of day? Oh, I'm hoping as well. I've, I've spoken with, uh, with my co-author, with Esther, and uh, we are hoping to launch it probably towards the end of 2020. It's a lot of research that we want to put in and not just research, but also we want to apply the things that we write about to see if they actually hold water. And we've done it with the corporate startup. And I think this is what we owe success to. And we want to keep doing that for, for the innovation accounting book. Dan Thomas, thank you very much.
Thank you very much for having me. This is a Thinkers 50 podcast, brought to you in partnership with the Brightline Initiative, bridging the gap between strategy design and delivery.